Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ Central Church. Uh, my name is Daniel. As Evan said, I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad that you've decided to be with us. Uh, you're worshiping with us. And I heard recently that there, there have been some people who've been worshiping online with us for some months who uh, have visited and attended for the first time. And so if that's you, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And uh, it's been encouraging to see how the Lord is drawing people into our body and into our church family. And we really do want to get to know you and, and care for you. Uh, again, welcome to all of you. Uh, we are in week four in a series in the book of Kings. We're specifically looking at the life of Israel's great prophet, Elijah. Elijah is a prophet in a very terrible time in the history of the nation of Israel. God has promised to Israel that I will be your God and you will be my people, but Israel has left their God. They have forgotten their God. They have forgotten that God is true and faithful. Israel literally is half of what it once was. At the time of Elijah's ministry, it's divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And in Judah, there are mostly bad kings with a few good kings in the mix. In Israel, there are no good kings. And their king during Elijah's ministry is an awful king named Ahab who has a horrible wife named Jezebel. And they have led Israel, Ahab and Jezebel, they've led Israel into the worship of Baal. And this morning, our text and our story is about worship. David Foster Wallace was an author, professor of English. Many think Wallace was a genius, brilliant man, incredible writer. Uh, we don't think he was a Christian from what we know, but in 2005, he was speaking at a commencement, uh, was speaking at a commencement speech at Kenyon College, and he was speaking about living a meaningful life, something that he had been in search of as he had struggled with clinical depression since his undergraduate days. And I've quoted this before, but I felt like it was timely for what our passage is talking about this morning. This is what David Foster Wallace said uh, to the graduates on that day. He said, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And I think he was right, right on point. We're all worshipers. All of us give our allegiance. We give our hearts to something. The question is what or who are you worshiping? And so let's turn our attention to 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand so we give attention to the Word of God. 1 Kings 18, verses 20 to 40. Bend your knees. It's a long passage. Don't want anybody passing out. <laughs> Bear with us as we give attention to God's Word this morning. So Ahab sent to all the, all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. 
And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made and at noon Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Isaiah says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we need to hear from you, the true God. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would bring your scripture to life, that our minds would be illumined, our hearts softened, and that we would be willing to leave here following you. I pray that our hearts would be turned back unto you, that you would draw us to worship you, the one true God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, I missed it. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, but it's been dubbed one of the best heavyweight boxing matches of all time. Fight number three between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Uh, Fury and Wilder, they're monsters. I mean, these guys are big. Tyson Fury is six foot nine, 278 pounds. Deontay Wilder is six foot seven, a chisel, 238 pounds. And I watched some highlights and, and the punches they threw, they just they landed with a thud. I mean, these guys, I mean, they throw. Very powerful punches. It was their third and final fight to determine who is the real champion. Spoiler alert if you don't know, Tyson Fury wins in the 11th round with a TKO. Knocks him out. Our passage this morning is a heavyweight bout. It is a showdown between Baal, the god of fertility, the god of rain, the god of the harvest, the god of the sun, versus Yahweh, the god of Israel, the god who's declared, I am who I am the true and living God. And this heavyweight bout would happen on the top of Mount Carmel. It would involve 450 prophets of Baal versus one prophet of Yahweh, Elijah. It is a showdown about who is worthy of worship. 
At its heart is a story about who is the real and true God worth worshiping. Look at verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. Israel is hobbling back and forth between worshiping Baal and then worshiping Yahweh. They are worshiping Baal when it's convenient, and then they will hobble back to worship Yahweh when it's convenient. What Israel is doing is called syncretism. They are mixing and matching religions. They are grabbing a little of this and a little of that and calling it their religion. Israel had not said no to Yahweh. The altar is broken down, so we know the worship of Yahweh is not in a good place, but they still believed in Yahweh. They would dabble in the worship of Yahweh, but they were trending towards the worship of Baal. They were limping between two opinions. This is something that our culture has been good at for some time. And the spirituality of our day is a cafeteria plan. We take some of this transcendental meditation and we mix it with a little bit of secular humanism and then we mix it with a little bit of Christianity. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, whatever's pertinent to our needs or whatever meets our situation. We're encouraged to do whatever works best for us, to believe whatever is best for us. Syncretism is prevalent for us as it was for Israel. The drama that is unfolding in our story, it is about something so much bigger than the devastating drought and the famine that Israel is experiencing. It is about who is the true God and will you follow him? Elijah says, if Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. The the question our passage is asking, who is the true God? For only the true God is worthy of worship. So what I want us to do is look at this battle for our worship. And I want us to look at, at false gods versus the true God. We're going to look first at false gods. Now realize that Baal worship feels primitive to most of us. I highly doubt anybody in here has been to a Baal worship service. But, but I think we can relate to why they were choosing to worship Baal. Look at why they were choosing to worship Baal. Baal offered power and status. The king and queen of Israel were worshiping Baal. They were demanding others to worship Baal. So if an Israelite wanted to be connected to power and have status in their society, they too must worship Baal. Worshiping Baal also met the felt needs for the Israelites. Baal was the god of rain in the midst of a drought. Baal was the god of the harvest in the midst of a famine. They needed rain and they needed food. Baal promised to meet these needs if they would worship him. Our passage also shows that this Worship experience of Baal is pretty exciting. The word rave in verse 29 means ecstatic. The worship on Mount Carmel was ecstatic. It was fantastical. An ancient document, a hieroglyph, shows Baal worship depicted as a person with waving arms and dancing legs. The worship of, of Baal also often involved having sex. I mean, Baal worship was a true rave, right? Now, we may not worship Baal, but we sure know what it's like to bow to a God who promises power and status. How often we enter the shrines of office spaces and gyms, thinking that if we can just attain enough money or have the right body, if we're in the right shape, then we're going to have power and status. Facebook, now with its new name Meta, uh, used to have your update on timeline titled Status. 
They've wisely, I think, changed it. But, but how true to call it status. For that's what is often done on social media. We are claiming and hoping to secure some type of social status. It's a, a ton of virtue signaling. Articles that we link, people that we quote, events we attend, places we visit. It's an attempt to have a virtual righteousness that will give you status in our current society. We also know what it means to worship something that will meet our felt needs. We give ourselves wholly to our work or to our schoolwork. We worship because it will give us success. We give ourselves wholly to a social cause because it, it gives us meaning. We give ourselves wholly to exercise because it gives us beauty. I could go on and on because the reality is that our hearts are prone to take things, even good things, and make them ultimate things. So let me ask you, what has been making you angry lately? What's been making you anxious or despondent? Has anything racked you with guilt that you just can't seem to shake? Name it. And there you will name the false God that is controlling your life. Well, how did, how did the worship of Baal go for these prophets of Baal in this heavyweight battle? Look with me. They sacrificed their bull, and then verse 26, from morning until noon, they prayed. I mean, they were dedicated. Verse 29, they raved. They were ecstatic, and they cut themselves so that the, their blood gushed upon the altar. They cried out to, to Baal to answer and to send fire. And three times our text tells us in verse 26 and 29 that there was no voice. There was no answer. Despite the fact that these prophets truly believed, were truly devoted, and deeply sincere, they were also sincerely wrong. Because Baal is not the true God. Psalm 135, verses 15 to 16, tells us that the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. False gods demand our time. They demand our attention. They demand our blood, our sacrifice. But they offer nothing in return. Verse 27 is one of the most sarcastic the funniest verses in all of Scripture, I think. The prophets of Baal, they're getting no answer. There is no response. And then Elijah mocks them. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep. Elijah says, your God must be on vacation, or going to the bathroom, or on a road trip, or asleep. And holy sarcasm, he is saying, your God is not real. Your God's not the true God because there is no answer to your devotion and to your sincerity. Our text is telling us we cannot straddle the fence. We cannot worship God and mix and match it with the worship of success or pleasure or control or approval. God allows no rivals. As Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, you, no one can have two masters. We must decide who is the true God and follow him. Well, let's look next at the true God. The odds, they, they seem to be stacked against Yahweh in this heavyweight bout. Baal has 450 prophets. Yahweh has one, Elijah. In verse 30, it says, Elijah repairs the altar of the Lord, showing that the people of God had neglected the worship of the true God. And then he takes 12 stones and he says, Israel shall be your name. What's Elijah doing? 
He is reconstituting the people to remember who they are, that they are the people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And their God has made promises to them. And he is still true despite their lack of worship and their lack of sincerity. He is true because he's true. And Elijah then takes a big old bull, cuts its throat, and blood runs everywhere. And then he takes four jars of water, pours it out on the wood of the altar, pours it out on the bull, pours the water in the trench around the altar in which he dug, and he does this three times. I think we would all agree that the best way to start a fire is not by water. But Elijah is making a very clear point that if fire comes, it comes from the true God. And with the true God, nothing is impossible. And then Elijah offers a simple prayer. Not morning till noon, but just a simple prayer. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. And Yahweh, unlike Baal, answers. For the true God has ears to hear and eyes to see and a mouth to speak, and God sends fire and it comes down, and it consumes the bull, the wood, the stones, and all the water, for it is a consuming fire. And the people saw this, and they responded the only way possible to the true God. They fell on their faces, and they worshiped. And if verse 27 is one of the funniest verses in the Bible, verse 40 might be one of the most startling. Look at verse 40. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Man, that seems harsh. It seems violent. But this is a picture of justice. And God sees evil in Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, Jezebel is slaughtering God's prophets. And so God rises up in judgment, in justice. Hear me, God wants and invites all of us to follow him. But he will not force us. He invites us, and if we choose to not follow, he will cast us out. And I know that the judgment of God sounds offensive in our current culture. But isn't it a very important aspect of the Christian faith? At the table here in a little bit, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed. And in it, We recite the judgment of God. It's an important aspect of our faith, historic faith. It's important to understand that false gods promise life but lead to death. The scene on top of Mount Carmel is a vision of the future day, the day of the Lord, when all will be held accountable. And on the day, Yahweh will vindicate and show himself to be true, and he will remove all evil. And all that is broken and wrong in this world, he will make right. All that harms and hurts his people, he will remove. Judgment is a great day because it is a gift for God's people. He will rid the world of all evil and right all wrongs. One of my close friends said that there's a warning with this text. Warning, nothing you can do can deliver you from judgment. But there is a promise with this text. Nothing can hinder God from delivering his people. The winner of this heavyweight bout is Yahweh. He is the one true God. He will win and nothing can stop him. And the reason we know this is true is not just because of what happened on Mount Carmel, but also what happened on another mountain, on the mountain just outside of Jerusalem. 
It was not a bull whose throat was cut open and blood was spilled. It was Jesus who was nailed to a cross and whose blood was poured out. Every other God says, slash yourself for me. Jesus only says, I was slashed for you. His blood ran. There is no other God whose blood runs for us. He is the once and for all final sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. He is the one who took the consuming fire of judgment for the, for the sake of the sins of the whole world. In his body, he bore the wrath of God so that you and I could receive mercy. From the beginning, there's always been a cosmic heavyweight battle. Kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it looked like evil and darkness would win. But when Jesus rose from the grave triumphant and victorious, the real and true God was declared the victor. And our whole life is wrapped up in Christ and in his kingdom. Jesus is the victor and the kingdom of God will win. As Christians, we don't solely resist the false gods. We trust and we follow Jesus. And as we do, we get all the things we desire that often lead us to false god worship. In Jesus, we get status, an irrevocable status, that by faith we are in Christ. All that is true of the Son of God is true of us. We are adopted as sons and daughters, declared to be a part of the beloved community of God. In Jesus, he meets our needs. All of us desire meaning. In Christ and in his kingdom, there is no greater meaning than seeking the, come, the kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. We all desire beauty. There's nothing more beautiful than the crucified and resurrected Christ riding all that is broken in this world and ushering in a new creation. All of us desire intimacy. There's nothing more intimate than a God who knows you better than you know yourself and who loves you completely. We desire security, and there is nothing more, sec more secure than a God who promises to never leave nor forsake us. In Jesus and in the kingdom, we receive every spiritual blessing. All of our heart's desires are met and found in Christ and in his kingdom. The question you and I have to answer is, will we and are we following him? Does he have our whole heart? Does he have all of our worship? As David Foster Wallace said, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. I would say who to worship, the true God. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help our minds that are filled with questions and doubts that are not always sure, help our hearts that are sometimes hardened, that are sometimes bowing down to other gods to be turned back unto you. Help us to believe that you are the true God. And as we, as we come to this table, strengthen us and feed us and renew us in our faith that we might leave together following you, the one true God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.